0: you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up. The ushers will grab one for you. Um, We have been working our way through this section. We obviously broke last week for Christmas Eve. I hope you guys had a wonderful Christmas um, and a safe new year coming up. But we've talked about over... Uh, this next course of the year, we're going we're gonna to push and challenge and encourage you guys to, out of the maturity that God has done in 2017, hopefully in your life, we're going to encourage you to start looking at what does it mean for you to have risky faith or, or big faith in this year. But the, the book of Hebrews, as we've, as we've been talking about it, it's, it's kind of written more like a sermon as opposed to a, a letter. So it, it, it teaches a little bit differently. And so today we're going to dig into the entirety of chapter 2. Mainly because it is a lot of information and a lot of stuff to cover, but mainly because uh, I think this is just a continuation of what has already been communicated in chapter 1 with a, a little bit of a, a warning in the middle of it. And so we're going to dig in. Chapter 2 is where we are. We're going to hit most of it today. It says that, therefore, verse 1, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away, away from it. to his will. And so this kind of takes a pause here. This is a book. This, this letter has five kind of huge exhortations or admonishments where it happens, where each one specifically gets a little bit harder. So just a, a little bit of a warning as we get further into the book of Hebrews. These, these, these cautions, these warnings that the author gives us get a little bit more difficult as we go on. And this is the first of the five stuck right after, again, therefore is, is, is taking us off of the fact that the, because of the superiority of Christ— he, he, he made this big case on how the angels were great, but Christ is, is, is greater, and here's why. Because of his, 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 his deity, because he's God, because he's the son of God. All of that stuff was put in place on why Jesus is greater than angels. And then he has this warning that sets place right here. And this, this warning is, is essentially, the, 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 the two warnings are be careful not to drift away or, or neglect your salvation. He doesn't he didn't say reject your salvation. That's, that's key. But what's also interesting is he, he, the author says us in this situation. He says, may, may, let, let, be careful not to let us. us. So he, he aligns himself into this text as well. So it's not, a, hey, you, you people don't do this. It's an us. So he's speaking to the generality of all of them. And he's saying, look, be careful not to drift away or to neglect your salvation. And drift has the idea. It's not like when it was snowing last week and you're in your truck and you're driving really fast and drifting around snow. That's not, the, that's not the picture of drifting that's here. Drifting has more to do with like a boat being anchored and the water slowly lifting the anchor and slowly taking the boat further and further and further away from the harbor into um, a spot of not safety. And that's the, that's the picture of drifting here. In fact, I, I bet most of us have never really noticed we're drifting until we've drifted a ways. So have you ever noticed that? When it comes to, to the word of God, when it comes to following the Lord, it's not like you go, oh, I'm totally drifting right now. Usually you've drifted away. It's like, how did I end up here? How did I get to this spot? And that's the picture that the author is, is, is saying right here. That's the picture he's, he's envisioning here, is this idea that, that there's, a, there's a way where you and I can live our lives, if not careful, as followers of Jesus, where we neglect the salvation that has been given to us and we can slowly drift from it. And then what he does, he, he makes a point around this drifting. He says, he says, look, the angels brought the message originally, which was all of two weeks ago message. You'll have to go back and listen to that. So the angels brought this, and, and God set up, God takes sin very seriously. There were consequences, there were punishments for breaking the law that the angels had helped bring through Moses. So how much greater, it's another rhetorical question, how much greater would it be to break the, the rules of the Lord bringing the message? And that's the statement he has. So he says if we neglect, this is means make light of or be careless with. And he says rejecting, it. he says neglecting, not rejecting. God has never taken sin lightly. He, he never has taken sin lightly. This is, this is something that we have to understand. We, being on this side in the new covenant, resting in, in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we, we really love to rest in this incredible lavish of grace that just kind of is, is on us, which is true. But God has never taken sin lightly, and I think it's important for us to understand that. First off, he, he prescribed appropriate penalties for the infringement of every single commandment that was written in the Old Testament. For major offenses, the law prescribed the death penalty, while for lesser offenses, restitution was to be made. He, this applied to actions resulting from neglect, Exodus 15, Exodus 21 and 33, and ignorance, Numbers 15 27, also as sins committed deliberately, 1530 out of Numbers. He says here that there's a reward. Like, how, how, like would, would not God give us a just reward? Now, reward is used predominantly in a positive way in all of the New Testament, except for here. He's saying here that to receive a just reward is apparently used ironically, since the reward, the reward signifies punishment for sins, for drifting. And so, now, it doesn't say what the punishment is. He doesn't say how the punishment is. And if, In fact, I don't even think that's the point of this text right here. It isn't the punishment, and that's where we're going to go a little bit further, because this, this exhortation, this admonishment right here that happens is in the middle of a bigger argument, a bigger conversation that's happening. But he, he stops, he pauses, and says, look, don't, don't neglect. Don't, don't drift away. Pay attention. Pay attention, because you're at risk of drifting. Now, if you remember back to the beginning of this book when we were talking, the Hebrews, the, the, there were a bunch of Jewish believers, Jewish descent that came to believe that just Jesus is the Messiah, And so because of that, they were following Jesus as the the coming Messiah that the Old Testament had talked about. And they were starting to experience some persecution for that from other Jews that hadn't accepted Jesus as the Messiah. And so there's this persecution coming, and these Jewish Christians were finding themselves sliding back into a religious system. It's just easier if I accept the religious system that's in place because then I won't get persecuted as much. And for you and I, the, 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 the concern, the, the worry, the, the conversation, the admonishment from the author here is, is be careful not to drift away. Again, it's not like you see drifting happening. You don't look go, oh, man, if I, you know, if I just stay here, this is just where I'll end up. Most of us always believe we can course correct when we see it. Oh, yeah, I mean, I know that this goes this way, but I'm the exception to that clause, and I'll fix it right here and go this way. That's how most of us operate in our lives. And so he says, be careful not to drift and then he goes on in, in verse 5. Well, let's pick up from there. It says, For it was not to angels, and this is where he begins the same conversation about angels that he ended in verse 14 of chapter 1. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. This somewhere, by the way, is Psalms 8, 4 through 6. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And so we have this, this section where, where essentially he jumps back into this conversation of, of how does Jesus lay out with the angels? And, and I, again, I warned you this last week. This book is fairly repetitive, and its point is to make a lot about Jesus Christ. So if you get tired of that, then that's, I mean, they just know what you're going to hear for the next six, seven months, however long we're in this book. It's, a, it's about Jesus Christ, and that's specifically what he's doing. He's making a case here, but he's doing it in a very, very different way. He just spent the entirety of 5 through 14 of chapter 1 talking about God's—or Jesus as divine, as deity, as the Son of God, actually God himself. He was a part of creation. He was in all things. He's in all things, he, and he picks it up again here, but now he talks about Jesus almost looking like he's lower than angels because he takes on an earthly form. Now for most of us today, we just accept that. We just celebrated Christmas Eve, and so we accept that Jesus is born a, a baby. He incarnates. He takes on flesh and, and, and becomes man to walk this earth, and we, we just kind of accept that. In this day, and to a lot of other religions today, this is the issue most people have with Christianity. How could God take on an imperfect form? How could God come down and be a man? That, that makes no sense. Because it would, it would in, immediately make him dirty, make him unclean, make him imperfect, make him to struggle. And yet we know on the, the, the tail end that Jesus Christ walked this word, world perfectly without sin. I, I don't know how that looks like. I can't even picture that. Like, I, I, I just can't. But we, we know from the scriptures that he, he walked perfectly and was a s- perfect sacrifice. So why? And so this is where the author goes. Now stay with me here. Jesus is greater than angels because of his deity. Be careful not to neglect or drift. And now I want to talk about how Jesus looks inferior to the angels. Because this was an argument that many were saying, well, if he's truly greater than the angels, if he's truly greater than God, then how was he human? And so that's where he goes in here. And so in this section, we see, the, we see that ultimately that Jesus is not inferior because of his humanity. And that's what we see through 5 through 18. The fact that angels are ministering spirits without human bodies would seem to give them an advantage over Jesus Christ who had a human body while he ministered on earth. The writer gives four basic reasons to explain why our Lord's humanity was neither a handicap nor a mark of inferiority. And that's what's happening here. And so he comes into this and does it in this section. So the first section we just read was the quote from Psalm 8, 4 through 6. And he says, specifically here, he says that ultimately, when God created the first man and woman, he gave them dominion over his creation. That's what this is talking about. So in Genesis 1, when God creates Adam and Eve, what does he do for Adam and Eve? He says, hey, rule. 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 You're in charge. He never gives that command to angels. In fact, he says to Adam and Eve, who are in perfect unity with the triune God, in perfect unity in the garden, he says, now rule and do this dominion. So when Jesus comes and takes on a form of man, it looks like man was created lower than angels, but really, even though man was a little lower than angels in the sense of the way they are recorded, they were given privileges far higher than angels. God never promises to the angels to rule. And so when Jesus steps in, he then says everything is subject to him. Now, this, this poses a problem for us, and we don't have a lot of time to go into this, is that you and I are walking in this world today where we feel like, okay, Jesus has already come. We, we, we celebrated that last week, right? And we celebrate the, 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 around the resurrection. We celebrate Jesus raising, and so that's already happened. Well, then how come everything isn't subject to him yet? How come there are still people in this world that disobey him? How come I still disobey him? How come there's still all of this brokenness? And we talked about this a couple months back in our kingdom of God. This is the, this is the reality that everything began in being underneath him because he defeats Satan, and we'll talk about that in just a second, but also that we're in the, the, the now but not yet kingdom where the kingdom of God is crashing on earth. The kingdom is present. The kingdom of God is present in me as a follower of Jesus, in you as a follower of Jesus, and it is, he is slowly working out his people. He's slowly creating a people group, Right? And we're praying for him to come a second time and take over. And that's, that's what he's talking about here in the psalm. The psalm is talking about Jesus having everything, ultimately at the end, underneath his feet, his footstool. And so, so he says, look, Jesus isn't inferior because he's a human. He, he did this because what happened originally, the first Adam, got turned upside down. Sin came, Genesis 3, we made it two whole chapters, and sin shows up. And so Jesus now being the second Adam, coming in as a man, he is here to right side up what was, what was upside down. He's correcting what was upside down. He is standing in place, and that's happening through him being a man, not just a God. It's him being a man. So then he goes on. He says, look, it takes that. In fact, and then, so let, let's read in verse 10. It says, for it was fitting that he, now, Fitting is a really interesting argument. Starting, I just want to say, like it is fitting. This is essentially saying, like this is is it's perfectly right. That's what he's saying. Now, pay attention. It's exactly the way it's supposed to be. Is how that begins, for whom and by whom all things exist. Speaking of Jesus, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. I want to want to pause on that real quick. This talking about Jesus being perfect through suffering. I want to be really clear. Jesus is perfect apart from suffering. His culmination of his exaltation or him him being ascended into heaven comes through suffering. So that is the plan of Jesus. The plan of God is played out perfectly through that. Okay, so going on. For he who sacrifices and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying I will tell you, tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children of God and the children God has given me. One scholar wrote it this way. For most of us, when we think about Jesus' suffering, we, we know, well, yeah, he, he needed to suffer the cross. He needed to be that, that perfect sacrifice to undo all the sin and brokenness that all of us have. When you hear, you, you hear about teaching of, of the, 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 the wrath or the, the, the penalty or the punishment that you and I deserve for our sin being poured out on Jesus on the cross. So we, we all accept that. But one scholar wrote it this way, the notion of a crucified Lord was a scandal to the first century world. Crucifixion was a public form of execution and its cruelty was well known. For Jews, death by crucifixion meant that a person was under the curse of God. Hear that? For Jews, if someone's crucified, they must be under the curse of God. While pagans protested that it was just sheer madness. Even the pagans didn't like it. No one liked crucifixion. To associate God with the world of suffering was therefore utterly inappropriate. But in spite of the offensive nature of Jesus' suffering and death, that is precisely the way God has worked. And Hebrews gives it a central place. It was fitting that God should affect his glorious saving purposes through Christ's suffering. So the author tells us that, look, Christ's suffering was exactly the way it had to happen. This is exactly how it was planned. And this is exactly why it needs to happen. To, to most of, of the readers this time, they're going, but it, it doesn't make sense. Like, why would, why would God suffer? Well, it makes no sense. And again, for you and I, we aren't spending a bunch of time heading to a temple, sacrificing an animal to make our sins right. That's not our, that's not our, that's not our process, but that is still in operation at the time of this writing. And so again, accepting Jesus as God, as, as deity, as divine, like we did talk about two weeks ago, is, is, is one aspect, but we have to set, accept him as fully man. They don't work Separately, and that's what the author's doing here. He's saying, look, he's greater than the angels because he is this way, and he's greater than the angels because he is here. Both need to happen. And so he says, his, enab- his humanity enabled him to bring many sons to glory. So we see that he is, he is the, he's the founder of salvation. That, that word is actually better translated pioneer. I love that. Because Jesus is, is pioneering salvation. He is literally cutting the path away. He is taking the machete and clearing the jungle so that people can go behind him. He's literally pioneering salvation. How is he doing it? For his brothers. For his brothers and sisters. Now to us that doesn't mean much. But in this day and age, you didn't associate yourself with someone as a brother unless they were the same social class as you. You didn't, you didn't associate that way. You didn't say, oh, you're my, you're my brother, <laughs> unless they were equal social status. When someone of higher status defines someone of lower status of brother, what they're doing is they're elevating him to their level. And do you see what Jesus does? Jesus, as the perfect human sacrifice, elevates his brothers and sisters to glory. He he, he moves you and I, descendants of Abraham, we'll talk about that in just a second, he moves all of us up to his level and says, we're we're brothers and sisters with Christ. Why does Jesus need to be fully man and fully God? he's, He's unfolding that right now. If he doesn't step here, you and I can't be brothers and sisters. We'll never be brothers and sisters without Jesus walking in flesh. And so he says in 10 through 13, he says, Christ is not only the last Adam, but he's also the founder of salvation. Christ gave up his glory to become man. He regained his glory when he arose and ascended to heaven. Now he shares that glory. Listen to this. He shares that glory with all of us who trust in him. That's John 17. He shares that glory with us. He's bringing many sons and daughters to glory. And then it says, Christ is united to us and we are united to him. We are spiritually one. In fact, we are his brethren. Hebrews 2.12, that's what it says. We're his brethren. That's actually quoting Psalm 22, verse 22. This is, his church is born through Christ walking on this earth. Do you understand how, how big of a deal that is? Like The church doesn't happen without Jesus walking on earth. It doesn't, it doesn't happen without him putting flesh on, incarnating, becoming human, stepping out of his place of glory, the place where he, remember, we already established, created all things, is in all things. He created you and me. Stepping out of that spot and walking in flesh, all of a sudden he now brings the rest of us into a place of honor and glory as children of him, as brothers and sisters of Jesus. This is a big, big deal. Verse 14 and 18, he says, it goes on. and says, since therefore—so we kind of get this to all make sense, and hopefully we'll wrap it up together. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore— he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. I hear that, in every respect. He had to be made in likeness of his brothers in every respect. That means he, he probably dealt with acne at some point, had to learn how to walk. Like in every respect, he had to be made like his brothers so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of of the people for because he himself has suffered when tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted this these last two verses are huge and give us such a brilliant and beautiful promise and we're actually not going to cover as much of those cuz more of it goes next week he, he begins this idea of high priest here which most of us again were like high priest doesn't make sense but high priest was still in process or still play in play in in, in Jerusalem at this point High priest was the holiest of holiest person. He was the one that could go into the holy and most holies, make the sacrifice that would atone for all sins. It had to be a person, a descendant of Abraham. And so Jesus, being a descendant of Abraham, was a person to be a high priest. Now, you know what's crazy is he's a merciful, and justice, or, uh, merciful and faithful. There are not a single historical high priest that's considered or defined by those two words, other than Jesus Christ. And so he, he, he lays out what happens here. So he continues to go. Why is Jesus so great? Because it enabled him to disarm Satan and deliver us from death. This is, this is the reason for his in, incarnation. It enables him to defeat Satan and destroy him at that moment and defeat death. And it also enables him to defeat something else that I think most of us don't acknowledge, which is fear of death. And this is this was profound in this time. I think today it's, it's just as profound. We just hide it. We aren't walking around afraid of death. Most of us, try to make ourselves busy with other things to ignore that it may or may not happen. It's not until you see a doctor or something happens that you're like, oh, death is, is a reality. But we do not have to fear it. In fact, it says that through and deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Look at that. If we fear death, we're slaves. Him incarnating, him becoming man, not only does he defeat death and Satan in that way, but he defeats the fear of death. He, free, he frees us from the fear of death. No one has to worry about the power of death anymore. tells us that we're offspring of Abraham. Now this offspring of Abraham, again, was, was key because every single Jewish person believed themselves to be a descendant of Abraham. But this offspring is, and we see it later in Hebrews, and we'll talk about it, is it extends out to far beyond just the Jewish descent. It, it's it's the Gentiles and everyone at this point. So you and I that are followers of Jesus would be offspring of Abraham. You know, Father Abraham, have many sons. No, sorry, okay, yeah. Right? And so this, so he's saying ultimately. Look, by Jesus stepping into flesh, by him doing this, what he does for us, he does. The, this is the reason, ready? He defeats death. He he looks exactly like us. He operates exactly like us. he defeats death. And then the biggest part, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, to make away, to atone, to take away our sins, to give us an opportunity to stand in rightful, in, 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 in honor and right before God. Because we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Through suffering, Jesus accomplished this. It wouldn't have happened had he not incarnated, had he not become man. His humanity enabled him to deliver us from death. Again, importance of Christ being a man taking on flesh and blood, and then through his obedience and self-sacrifice, taking back what was lost through Adam. Jesus, again, we see is the second Adam. We see that in Romans 5, 14, and 1 Corinthians Um, 15. And so that's, he's the second Adam. Jesus is the second Adam. This is important. But I want to, I want to make sure that this is clear. Everyone understands this. It's vital that we recognize that Satan has no power over us. I want you to hear that. Satan has zero power over us. For those of us that are in Christ, we do not have to fear Satan at all unless, hear this, this is important, unless we give it to him through believing his lies or through disobedience to God's ways. You need to hear this. Satan's power over us is only there when we give it to him, when we believe his lies, or we disobey God. That's when he begins to have power over us. That's why your, your unforgiveness isn't really help, helping you at all. It's, it's, it's harboring bitterness. It's a foothold inside of your life. That's why your anger, your, your built up, pent up, unrighteous, gross anger is nothing but a tool for the enemy to keep you at distance from God. He has no power over us when we are obedient to God he has no power over us when we submit ourselves entirely to Christ he has zero power he's not going to accidentally come over to power to you he's not going to he's not going to show up and be like oops i guess i found a way in i found a loophole there's there's no loophole it's our drifting it's our neglect it's our stepping from god's word this is where that aren't warning comes it's when we, when we step back, when we run from God's word, when we, when we run from community, when we push away the things of God, when we stop submitting to his word, and we just excuse ourselves as the exception to whatever he's saying in here. That's when we give the enemy power in our life. Verse 17 and 18, he, his humanity enables him to be a sympathetic high priest to his people. Now again, for us high priests, we don't understand that. That's a theme that literally runs through like the whole middle chunk of Hebrews. So we're going to spend a lot of time talking about high priest, but not today. But what, he, what, he's, what he's saying here is, 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 is the key, is the sympathetic part. See, Jesus stepping in and walking this earth in person. Now, I, for me personally, I'll, I'll just confess this. I have really no problem in theory in mind believing that Jesus is God. I have, there's, not, there's not a problem with me in that. I see him as, as worthy of worship. My rightful position is, is on my face before him. I, I have known now my life, I struggle at times to live, submitted to that, I'll admit that but I don't, I don't necessarily wrestle with it there. I wrestle with Jesus having pimples. I wrestle with Jesus' humanity. I wrestle with the idea of picturing that Jesus actually walked this earth and took on this flesh, and he, he, had the, he felt the muscle aches, and he felt the, the exhaustion from breath, and he felt tired, and he felt hungry. He felt everything that I felt. I wrestle with that. The problem is if we, if we ignore either aspect of who Jesus is, we miss the most profound and biggest and amazing thing ever. It's that through Jesus being God and human, we are reconciled to God through Jesus. There is no other way to God except through the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice that Jesus Christ is. There's no other way. There's no other way. So when he lines him up to be the high priest, every single Jewish person in that area heard, oh, he's the way to God. The high priest is the way to God. That's how I get to God, is through the high priest. And he's saying, I am him, but I'm better than just him because I've experienced what you've experienced. I've been tempted like you've been tempted. I've felt loss like you've felt loss. I've had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to fail in my temptation, but I never did so that you no longer have to. Because apart from me, you would always fail. It's easy for me to want to worship God, Jesus is God, but I struggle to bring him down this level because I'm a, little, I'm a little embarrassed to relate to him like that sometimes. It's how, how, can, how can God, it's so hard for me wrap my mind, how can God relate to me so well? And see, what he does is, is, is profound and beautiful and big, and I hope you catch this. What he does is he says, look, I am, I'm God. I created you. I actually know every single hair on your head, even the lack of hairs that are coming. I know every single thing about you. I know how I made you. I know what I made you for. And I did that before you even set on scene. I did it all at the beginning. But I also know what your struggles are, and I'm ready to walk with you through them. I'm going to walk arm in arm, hand in hand. I'm going to literally step you through these temptations because I have defeated them. I am stronger than them. I am greater than them. And I don't leave you out to dry. I don't hang you out to dry and say, well, good luck, figure this out. Instead, I can relate to you in every single way. You guys, it's right for us to worship God as the most powerful God ever. It is right for us to do that. And we have to be very careful to not swing the pendulum to Jesus being my homeboy because he still is very much worthy of all worship and honor. But it changes when you recognize that Jesus can relate to you and I. The very fears you're, you're running through your head, the insecurities that continue to well up, Jesus knows what those feel like, and he knows how to navigate through them without sin. This should just make us go, exhale and like Relief. That it's not just a God that's perfect and up there and kind of like looking down and saying, okay, I'll make it right for you. He says, no, I'm going to go ahead and put myself in the middle of this because it's the only way to make this right. I'm going to look exactly like you. I'm going to take on the flesh that I created. I'm going to use one of my creations to bring me into this world, to raise me, to to change my diaper, to to teach me how to walk. And I'm going to use that person to walk a perfect life, to live a perfect life without sin tempted in every single way for what it's worth. I think maybe even tempted worse than most of us. Very few of us have had an interaction where Jesus is take, or Satan is taking us from scene to scene trying to get us to, to fall. We do enough falling on our own. Jesus is relatable. He's God. And so what the author does brilliantly is he's, he continues this conversation of how Jesus is greater than angels, but he does it by showing how he made himself less than angels for just a moment. So that what? So that what? So that he could pay for your and my sins and walk us all into glory as brothers and sisters of the Most High King, Jesus Christ. As co-heirs, as Peter tells us, with Jesus Christ. Guys, that is profound and huge and beautiful and amazing and it should wreck us all at the same time. It should wreck us when we realize just to what extent God went to make it right again. To bring everything back up on its head. And we get so fickle and so so distracted by the silliest of things, when all along Jesus is saying, look, look, these distractions you experiencing, I know, I know exactly what it's like, and I can tell you how to walk right through faithfully to the Lord. If you would just trust me, if you would just, just not drift away. Just don't, don't neglect your salvation. Don't, don't, don't give up on it. Just because it gets hard at times, don't, don't let yourself drift. And that's what I believe the author is doing. Look, Jesus' greatness isn't because he elevates himself above us, although that makes him profoundly great. It really does. And he deserves to be well above us. What makes makes his greatness so amazing is because he becomes us to save us. He literally becomes us so that we can be saved. That is profound and beautiful and big. His greatness isn't because he's elevated, although he is. He, He ascended right back to his rightful place, the throne. Where ultimately everything, the enemy will be put under his feet, and ultimately everything will be right, and everything is in subjection to him, and he is Lord of all. He, he is in that place. But you and I, you and I, we see him as great, not just because he is God, but we see him as great because he came down to be man so that he could save man. He came down to do what, what we so desperately needed so that we don't have to fear death, so we don't have to worry about death, because we know ultimately that we don't die. We get to spend Eternity in honor and glory unto the one whom we get crowned with him, we get crowned with glory and honor with Christ. how amazing is that we didn't do anything to deserve that. The band's going to come up, and we're going we're going to worship this king again, but as as they do i I understand that like a lot of times it's like okay well, what's the what's the takeaway with this? Well, it's kind of the same as it's been the last few weeks. Jesus is greater, okay like he's better than you he's better than everything. Jesus is truly greater, but i I hope that for today, for some of us, I hope that you would, you would see that, that Jesus' humanity actually brings him to a level where he can actually relate with you. I hope that today maybe you would, you would stop moving as, as God in the theoretical if you are there and you just kind of have this idea of who God is instead you would, you would truly accept him as your brother. He's still, he's still your Lord and Savior and I, I understand that's like a hard thing for us to reconcile. But you know, you know what's crazy is, is one of the biggest reasons why I believe you can believe the testimony of Jesus is James, his brother who worships him as Lord. I have a brother. I'm pretty sure I couldn't convince him to do that. And we get the opportunity to worship our brother as Lord because of everything he did for us, guys. Because it wasn't, it is fitting. It wasn't some mistake. It wasn't like God went, oh, man, I didn't see that one coming. <sighs> how are we going to fix this, Jesus? Okay, I got an idea. I got an idea last. No, it was, just, it was in there. He said, no, I, I know how to fix this, and this is how it's going to do it. And it's through Jesus' obedience to God. He is perfected. He is risen to his rightful spot because of his submission and obedience to the Lord. And we, as God's children, Jesus' brothers and sisters, are risen to the rightful spot, not because of anything we do, but because of what he's done. And as children, we get the opportunity to be obedient to God, the same way that our brother Jesus was, who showed us how to deal with the temptation that you deal with, showed us how to fight through the battles you fight through, and to do so without sin. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, and thank you for Jesus man, thank you thank you that you didn't leave us um, to our own devices. We would have never, ever, ever made this right. Lord, to recognize that Jesus is truly an atonement, he is truly someone that takes my sin away, is so humbling. I'm so grateful for that, Lord. I'm, no, I don't deserve that. And then to recognize that he doesn't just take my sin away, he says, hey, walk with me. Hey, let me know you. Let me, let me be your brother, Let me share stories with you. Let me help you walk through this navigation of disgusting, broken life. Let me show you how to do this without sin. God, the fact that he does that is just ridiculous. Father, forgive us for drifting. Forgive us for neglecting. Forgive us for forgetting um, just how profoundly beautiful Jesus is. Jesus, thank you for, for being obedient to God. Thank you for taking on flesh and walking this world. I can't imagine how hard that must have been to step from your throne only to experience what I deserve what everyone in this room deserves. You can't imagine how difficult that was. Jesus, thank you for for paying for my sin. Thank you for paying for everyone's sin. God, for the the individuals in here that continue to find themselves completely close to Jesus but never ever submitted to him, God, would you just, I just just pray boldly, wreak havoc on their hearts. God, I just break down their pride and their stubbornness and their fear. Whatever's getting in the way of you working, God, would you, would you bind the enemy's hands in their life as they've given themselves as a slave to the enemy as opposed to a slave to you, God? Would you, would you adopt them? Father, we want them to be free. Free from the fear of death, free from death, free from the enemy. God, for those of us, as we look back at 2017 and we see where we are, we recognize maybe our boat has drifted a little further than we wanted. Father, I pray that you would give us through your spirit, the strength and the ability to walk in humility and and patience and kindness and truth to to live out what you command of us, God, so that we can do the one thing that, that we are called to do, the one thing that makes sense for us to do, bring glory to your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, Lord. Amen.